Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Um, the white trousers are out. Now I'd leave you to decide whether it's because summer is coming or it's the end of the school holidays and the laundry isn't done. Up to you. To, <laughs> up to you. Whichever you think. <laughs> But as Nigel said, I am carrying on with our three-week series looking at pastoral care. We're saying, what does pastoral care look like in a church where we are aiming to be inwardly strong but outwardly focused? As Nigel said last week, we've been talking about vision for a while. We, as a church family, think that we are called to rewrite the story of our city. Wherever God has placed you, that's what we mean by the city. So for us, we live in Hairstock in Winchester. I know others of you live in Week or Tegdown. You might live in Eastleigh or Petersfield or Allsford or Gosport. You fill the gap. But God has called us to rewrite the story of where he's placed us. To demonstrate his love and to make a difference and to see transformation happening in those places. And that's really exciting. But the question is... What does that mean for us actually as a church? Because as a church, we kind of gather together. And if we're looking out all the time, then how do we make sure that we stay strong as a community and make sure that things don't kind of crumble at home? Can we actually work on both at the same time? And if those of you who here last week or listened to the podcast, will remember that Nigel talked a fair bit about sheep and shepherds and how when we think about pastoral care, often our thoughts are influenced by what we see in the world around us. We think about kind of giving people love and a hug and a cuddle. But actually, when we read about pastoring or shepherding in the Bible, that's not what it actually means. Shepherds in the Bible were those who were to lead the sheep to places where they were going to be well-fed and where they were going to be safe, to keep moving them on. Because as we said last week, if we just stay in the same field eating the same grass, it's not going to last for long. And Nigel reminded us about that amazing um, verse in Romans 8.15. In the message version, it talks about God calling us to live an adventurously expectant life. We're greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? We're not here just to be settlers, but we're on a journey and we're moving. And that's true for us as individuals. That's what God calls us to and as a community. And so, you know, Nigel mentioned about compassion. We're so excited, slightly terrified, but so excited about what God's saying to us about compassion. It'd be very easy to go, well, you know, children's storehouse is great. We love the fact we can give out food. We've got various things happening. That's good. Let's just stay here. But actually God said, no, there's more. Compassion is going to lead us into the city. That's what he said to us. And so we have to say, okay, what does that look like and how do we follow you? And so it is an adventure. And so with that, though, we are grappling with some big questions. You know, how can we, whilst we're looking outwards and looking to serve communities around us, how can we as a community stay connected to God personally, but also look at loving and caring for other people? who are having difficult situations? How can we think about building strong and loving relationships and yet not losing sight of that adventure that I've just mentioned? It seems like these things are intention, aren't they? We want to be building good friendships and community, and yet we want to be out and welcoming people in. And we have to have the both. And the other question, a very real one, is how much can I or how much can you reasonably expect the church to look after us or care for us when we're in difficult situations, when we're having a crisis. 
You know, life is tough for many. And in a community like us, there are different levels of need. There are ongoing stresses, like some of you I know are caring for elderly parents. I know others of you who've got children who've got specific or particular needs that need care. It might be that you're struggling with finances. It might be that you're looking for work. There are some of us who are in very specific immediate need because you've had a bereavement or there's been an accident. And others of us have got really deep emotional pain that we're processing and we're working through. And we're working with the challenges of how to forgive and how to find healing for the things that have happened in the past. We're all in different places. And yet we're all called called to be part of this thing called church, strong inwardly and looking outwards. I don't know if you've heard that story um, about John Wimber. John Wimber was a guy who um, was a church leader and he started our movement, the Vineyard Movement. And I was really tickled once. I heard a story about him, which was that a chap in his church came to see him and said, I need your help. I've seen this guy. I found this guy. He's homeless. He hasn't got anywhere to live. He hasn't got any money. And so I've taken him in. I felt so concerned for him. He's living in my house now and I'm feeding him. What is the church going to do about it? And John actually said to him, what do you need? Do you need money? Do you need support? Can we provide you some food? You know, what what do you need? And I said, no, you don't understand. This guy is homeless. He doesn't have anything to eat. He's living in my house. I'm feeding him. What is the church going to do about it? And John Wimber said, but the church is doing something about it because you are the church. We don't just go to church, do we? We are the church. That's what we looked at when we looked at our series on, on church earlier. And that is a really big challenge. I don't know if you're one of those people who can see need around you, but sometimes people do come to me and say, what is the church doing about that? And my answer is, having learned what John Wimber said, but we are the church. (laughs) There's nobody else. We're it. And if we don't do something, then we can't expect somebody else to. And there is that tension in there, isn't there? And we talked about this last week. That some of pastoral care, some of being church and looking after one another is very practically that. It's offering a meal, it's looking after someone's kids, it's visiting somebody in hospital. But actually a big part of what we're supposed to do is to point one another to Jesus. It's not taking everybody's load and responsibility just on ourselves. It's not taking what they should be dealing with, what they should be carrying. But it's standing with one another and saying, let's look at Jesus together and see what his solution is in this situation. And so what does pastoral care really practically look like? And, you know, I've been pondering about this for a while. And I was just reminded of a very simple, and yet, like just like Jesus, a really challenging command that Jesus gave his disciples you know, a few weeks ago we celebrated Easter, didn't we? And on the Thursday night, Maundy Thursday, we had, some of us had a meal here together and we reflected on the Easter story. And on Maundy Thursday, what, that's what we do. We celebrate the time when Jesus got together with his mates for his last meal with them. Now, he knew that his death was close. He knew it was coming. This was his last kind of special time with those who he'd been the closest to whilst he was living on earth. And so you can imagine that his last words would be pretty important. And I was thinking about last words this week, and I just had a quick look online at some famous last words that people have said. Douglas Fairbanks, the actor, allegedly said... um, Oh, I've lost that. That's very... He he allegedly said, just before he died, I've never felt better. 
Oscar Wilde, the writer, famously said, either that wallpaper goes or I do. And Elizabeth I, Queen of England, interestingly said, all my possessions for a moment of time. Isn't that interesting? Everything she had, and yet all, she would have given it all just to have had a bit longer. I don't know what our first last words would be. If you had to write a letter to your loved ones, what would you say if you knew that was the last thing that they were going to hear from you? And what was it that Jesus said? Because he knew it was coming. Well, it tells us in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And this I find really deeply challenging, because on one level, it's very easy to say, pastoral care, I'm going to help you look to Jesus. Yeah, you just look to Jesus. But that's not just what he says. He says, love one another in the middle of that. And this that he told his friends was a new commandment. It wasn't a good idea. It wasn't just a suggestion. It was a, this is what I'm expecting you to do, guys. And you know, the the old way, the old law was summed up in two different statements. You find this in Deuteronomy, and it's repeated again in the New Testament in Luke. It was accepted that the Jews knew they had two things to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And also, love your neighbour as you love yourself. That's what they were trying to do. So love God and love other people. That was what they were after. But this new commandment, I think, actually goes another step. And wasn't Jesus like that? He used to take the old commandments and say, no, we're going further with this one, guys. Because he actually said, I want you to love one another. He didn't just say, love your neighbour. So that might mean taking them a cake when they move in, or that might mean offering to babysit. He actually said, there's a mutual thing going on here. I'm expecting your relationships to be deeper and stronger because I'm expecting you to love one another. And in some ways, I don't know about you, but I find that's tougher. Because it's not just a giving, it's a being vulnerable enough to receive as well. And some of us find it harder to give, and some of us find it harder to receive. And so there's something for all of us in there, isn't it? What is it that God's calling you to today? Is he saying, love one another Actually, what that means is receive from somebody else. Or is he saying, you've been receiving quite a lot recently. It's your turn to give. So loving one another is a two-way interactive thing. And you know, John, who was Jesus' best friend, he was known in the ancient church for his concern for love. When he was really old, whenever he was carried into church, he would say in his old croaky voice, I imagine, little children... Love one another. <laughs> and I loved it when I read, I read what had been written up about this. And it said, when his disciples got tired of this, he was obviously banging on about it all the time. Little children, love one another. What should we do? Love one another. Anything for today? Love one another. They would say, Master, why do you always say this? And he said, it's the Lord's command. If this alone be done, it is enough. And so if we can only do one thing that Jesus has asked us to do, loving one another is a really good place to start. So my next slide, I was a bit unsure about whether I wanted to show you this one. Um, (laughs) Anybody recognise this guy? (laughs) 
Anybody, I'm my age, exactly. Anybody know this song or is it just me? Oh yeah, go on, sing it to us then. Come on, Catherine. Go on. All together, sing to your neighbour. What is love anyway? You know, I said to Michael, I was put this slide up. He said, you're not going to sing it, are you? So, apologies. But... That was a song that was around when I was younger. What is love anyway? Does anybody love anybody? That was, that's what Howard Jones asked. And the answer is yes. And it's illustrated by this short movie. Love. 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 Love in this world is pretty messed up. It asks for a lot and it never returns the favor. Love? In my world? Well, it brings more trouble than it's worth. In my world, love has felt like... Sabotage. It flees into the night. It it, it leaves at the first sign of trouble. And it never feels like, I love you no matter what. Mm. Because love in my world... It leaves. And when it leaves, there's only disaster left. No promise is a lot, but it doesn't deliver much. It breaks hearts. I've picked up the pieces of my broken heart one too many times. So I build walls. Love isn't worth the tears. The pain, the loneliness. The surrender. It's exhausting. Even when you try to do love right, Love fails. I have made a mess out of love. What good is it? You can't help me. Why love at all? Why do I even try to love? Why sacrifice to carry the burden? Why? 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 Because there is a perfect love. Perfect love that can end the disaster. A perfect love that can heal the brokenhearted. There is a love that saved those who are dwelling in this messed up world. God tells us about it because we wouldn't recognize it if it showed up on our own doorstep. It's a love that takes its time. It's profound. It doesn't brag or bad mouth. God's love is like a shield that we know will never leave us. That you can trust. Hoping. And you never, ever exhaust it. That's his kind of love. And it never fails. And while we were keeping records of wrongs and self-seeking and being unkind, he still died for us. How can I love like that? How can I love like that? How can I love like that? Because I am loved like that. I can love well, not because of me. But because he first loved me. That's powerful, isn't it? And maybe you can relate to some of those experiences. Maybe you have never known an I love you no matter what kind of a love. Maybe you feel it's all too familiar that love leaves. Maybe you've known lots of people who say that they love you actually just fail to deliver on promises. Maybe you've ended up with a broken heart. And I don't just mean romantically. It might be just people from your family. It might be people that you know from church who have let you down. 
And maybe you've tried to love other people, but found that their burdens just exhaust you and drain you. But the movie showed us his kind of love, God's love. And that's the one that's described in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, it's often read at weddings, isn't it? God's love can never be exhausted. His love never fails. Do you know, a couple of people have said to me in recent months, I feel like my situation is just overwhelming. I don't feel like I can share it with anybody in church because it just feels like it's too big for anyone to cope with. And yet I know somebody who can cope with your situation. If you feel like it's too big for anybody else, it's not too big for Jesus. And so as Nigel reminded us last week, we have to look to him. We have to keep encouraging one another and reminding one another and pointing one another back to Jesus. Paul on our team is really good at this. We sit down at our, our team times often on a Tuesday and we talk about different things that are going on and we pray about different stuff or we chat about different, different stuff. And often we're having a big debate about what's going on. And then Paul will say, why don't we just pray about that? I think, yeah, why don't we just pray about that? We have access to the man with the plan, the guy who knows all the answers. And the guy who, even though the answers aren't revealed just yet, is with us in the middle of it. But, you know, that movie also had a really big challenge for us, didn't it? Which is, how can we be people who love well? Jesus said, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. He is the example. And we're supposed to be like God with skin on. And So what did it look like for Jesus to love his disciples? Was it just kind of one big group hug? <laughs> well, no. And as we look at the Bible, we can see that's true. I was reading in a commentary this week about Jesus' love and how active it was. And it said, the love that Jesus is speaking of is not simply a feeling. With his disciples, he spent time with them. He spoke kindly to them. He was engaged in their lives. You know, you remember he healed Peter's mother-in-law and he helped them with fishing when they couldn't get enough fish. He instructed, he counseled and comforted them. He prayed with them and for them. He stood up for them when they were accused He took their part when they were run down and publicly owned them to be dearer to him than his mother or sister or brother. He told them off when they were wrong, and yet he compassionately bore with their failings. He excused them, made the best of them, and passed by many an oversight. And at the end, before this very meal that we've been looking at and talking about, he actually washed their feet. He practically served them. And you know, in that movie, I was really struck by the end. They said, how can I love like that? And the way that we can love other people like that is because we know that God loved us. And God is with us and he does those things for us. So I just wanted to kind of offer you some really practical steps. I was thinking, you know, as church, God doesn't speak to us to be heavy. He speaks to us to help us be all that he intended us to be. And God loves our church. Jesus loves this church. And he wants us to be a place where we love one another. And so some really practical things I just encourage us to think about and to do. The first is, in order to love one another, we've actually got to take time to build relationships. And that actually means putting ourselves in the right spaces. You know, life group is a great place to start. We often say, coming on a Sunday, you can get lost in the crowd. You can sneak in and slip out. 
and people just don't really get to know you. They might know your face, they might know your name, but they don't really know what's going on in your life. But joining a team or joining a life group is a way to start building relationship. Nigel didn't mention it today, but we've got church camp coming up. And the reason that we do things like camping together, having a weekend which is pretty cheap and pretty local, is not because I love camping, because I don't. But we do it because we love being together and hanging out. And actually, when we spend time washing up together, or watching the talent show together, or, I was going to say, sheltering from the rain together, but sitting in the sunshine together, we have the chance to build relationships that are deeper than just the kind of quick, over a coffee on a Sunday kind of relationships. And so when the booking forms come out for church camp, I really encourage you, just sign up and come. You know, we have things like the Maundy Meal. We sometimes do shared lunch after church on a Sunday. Those are opportunities to get to know people, so come. And you know, the thing is, I know it's very easy for me to say this, and sometimes it's very hard to do, particularly if you're shy, or often if you've come to church on your own. I've heard people say, look, it's so daunting even just coming through the door, let alone trying to initiate friendships and relationships, because everybody else is in a family. Well, do you know that's not true? Not everybody else here is in a family. But it can feel like that. And so that's a responsibility for those of us who are more settled here to make sure that we keep our eyes open. Some friends of ours have just um, joined a new church plant in Birmingham and they have a little phrase for their church community, which is, no one stands alone. I thought, that's amazing. And that's what's going on in their heads. When they come in on a Sunday morning, they're standing around having coffee before or after the service, or some folk come and sit down before the service. They have folk who are just on the lookout for who's on their own today. Is there anyone who's just standing and actually looking at the leaflets over there because they don't know who else to talk to? Is there anybody who's just come and sat down on a chair because actually it's just too difficult to start a conversation? As a church, we are really welcoming and friendly. We have a great welcome on the door. But let's extend that even more. Let's be people who say, no one stands alone. You know, if someone's standing on their own, I'll just go and say, hi, how are things? How was your week? Let's be people like that. So, put yourself in the right spaces. Take time to chat. Don't sneak in late and run out early because we won't get to talk to you if you do that. And, you know, someone said to me this week, actually, if I'm honest, I really hate the time off to church because I am rubbish at small chalk and I really don't like that. And what I have had to teach myself to do is to make an effort. Now, some of you are smiling at me. Perhaps this friend I was talking to wasn't the only person. Maybe lots of people feel like this. But this friend has said, what I've decided to do about it is actually I've learned to listen. I don't have to go and talk about myself all the time, but lots of us love talking about ourselves. So just come and ask us a few questions. How was your week? What's your job like? What about the weather? Have you got a holiday planned? You know, just start a conversation. amongst Who likes talking about themselves? Hands up. Oh, come on, there's more, more than just me. Okay, thank you. Right, if it, hands right up. If you don't like talking about yourself, look at these people with their hands up and come and talk to them after the service today. Let's, then we'll all be really happy. <laughs> but let's look at how we can build conversations and build friendships. Another top tip is actually we've got to come to the place where we're honest and we let people in. You know, there's a lot going on in our lives, and it's not always appropriate to tell everybody everything. In fact, often it's not appropriate to tell everybody everything. But we have to have those particular people who we do share with, 
And actually, sometimes it's just okay if someone says, how was your week? It's okay to say, do you know, it was really tough this week. I can't tell you all the details about it, but do you think you could just pray for me? That's okay. You don't have to get out the whole kind of diary and journal about everything that's happened every day, but we can still stand together. Another top top tip is we need to do that give and take. We need to be people who listen as well as people who receive. And really, really practically, you know, if we, to love one another in, in practice requires some conversations. If you see a need, don't assume that you know what the answer is. You know, I was working in London a while back and I saw a guy who was sitting by the side of the road and he had a little cardboard, a cardboard box written on, you know, hungry and homeless. And I just thought, that poor guy, I'm going to Sammy's shop, I'll go and get him something to eat. So I went and bought him what I thought would be a really, my favourite sandwich. What would he like? I'll, you know, spend some money on this. And I bought this really lovely kind of chicken and bacon sandwich. And I took him back, expecting this wonderfully great, grateful response. And I gave it to him and he said, well, that's no good, I'm a vegetarian. And I was just like, oh my goodness, what a missed opportunity. Why didn't I go for cheese? You know, but other than that, why didn't I ask him what he wanted for his lunch? Why didn't I just assume? And because we're all so different, you know, the situation you're in, you might not want the same response that I would like. So, if you have had a bereavement in the family, it might be that you want someone to bring you a meal, or perhaps you just appreciate someone helping you take a carload of stuff to the charity shop. You know, if you're a single parent, you might like someone to invite you around for Sunday lunch, but you might actually prefer someone to come around on a Wednesday night when the kids are in bed just to talk to them. You know, if you're out of work at the moment, you might need someone to help you with your finances, or you just might want someone to say, why don't you come and hang out during the daytime when there isn't a lot to do? You know, we can't assume what each other needs, but why don't we ask? And that works both ways, really. You know, because if you have a need, it's not really fair to expect that other people know what you need. When we were quite newly married, um, Nigel would sometimes say to me, oh, you don't look very happy, you know, what's the matter? Have I done anything? Have I said anything? I'd say, well, if you'd love me, you'd know. I just think, well, when I look back at that now, I just think, how unfair is that? I married a musician, not a mind reader. You know, if you've done something to cause hurt or offence or I'm upset about something, how can I expect Nigel just to know? Of course he doesn't. But if I've got a need, I can say, I'm struggling with this or I need help with that or could you, you know, just give me a hand with this. You know, if you have a need, then you need to be specific about what it is you need and not expect the church to know what's going in or going on. And to be able to support that. And so coming into the land now, just so you know, if someone comes to me and says, you know, this person in the church is in crisis, what is the church doing about it? Well, our first answer is, of course, you know, we're all the church, what what are you doing about it? But the second kind of question I would generally ask is, so which life group are they in? Because it could be easy for us to swoop in and to provide a solution But actually in doing that, we're stealing an opportunity from those people who are around you and who know you and who see you week on week. And wouldn't it be great if they could be part of the answer of supporting and helping in this time of need? Because that's how friendship grows, doesn't it? If I give you some help today and you give me some help tomorrow, that's how we develop these things. So that's the first question. Which life group are they in? How's that going? 
does life group need anything extra? You know, in our um, church we were in, in Birmingham, we had a family, and the mum got very sick and deteriorated really quickly. And the, the life group were amazing. They provided meals for the family because you had young kids, night after night after night. And it got to the stage where they just said, we can't sustain this. We, we'd love to help this family, but we can't keep it going. So then, they, then we just said, okay, let's get around you as a church family. And a whole load of us took it in turns to make a meal once a month. And that church, were, the, the family were catered for for months in, into years because of the, the mum's need. And so sometimes it's just really a, an extra practical step that we need. But sometimes, you know, there's real specialist help and care that we need to look for as well. We have the amazing resource of Streams of Hope here. Sozo can be very helpful. We have our Power to Change course. We have um, the marriage course. And if you come to us and you say, I've got this massive need, this massive problem, and we suggest that you go and get some help elsewhere, it's honestly not because we don't love you. It's not because we're trying to fob you off. But it's because we recognize that we don't have all the answers and the solutions for this problem. And there are specialists who can help. And we'd love to be alongside you and support you as you go for that help. But we aren't always the answer. You know, somebody came to me a while ago, upset, and she said, I came to this church to be healed. And she has had a really, really difficult time. And she looked me in the face and she said, and you haven't healed me. She said, oh no, I am so sorry. Because if you came and expected I was going to heal you, then you're just bound to be disappointed. I can stand with you as you look to Jesus because he is the only one who can heal you. And that's not to say that your situation hasn't been desperate and it's not to say that we don't want to be with you because of course we do. But he's the only one with the answers. And the solution to on the, the healing of your hurt and your pain is partly coming to be prayed for on a Sunday, being in a life group, but maybe partly going to the doctor and getting some medication and getting some professional counselling, and having some long-term prayer ministry. There are lots of different things that will provide a package of care so that you can be made whole. Because that's what we're going for, isn't it? We want to be those sheep who are living that wondrously expectant adventure with Jesus. We want to be so ready to follow him, even though sometimes we feel like we're limping as we go, but getting healed up and getting helped and getting strengthened as together... We look outwards and we invite other people in.